Hey everyone, it's Cameron, and it is Holy Wednesday, or as some church traditions call it, Spy Wednesday, as it's the day when we typically slow down to remember Judas arranging the betrayal of Jesus, um, uh, a spy amidst the disciples. But we are going to continue on in our readings from the Gospel of John, and today we have another great guest speaker. Uh, we get to hear from Jesse Van Hoogen, who is our children's ministry coordinator for Door of Hope Northeast. And so, Without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Jesse. Hi, guys. This is Jesse Van Hooken. Um, I help lead the children's ministry at Dorf Hope Northeast. My family and I are um, moved up here a couple years ago. Um, I've loved being a part of Dorf Hope community. I have um, so many people that have just really influenced my relationship with the Lord and um, have really taught me a lot. Um, I it's just been a huge blessing. And I have three little boys, um, Bear, who's six, and Hank, who's almost four, and Gus, who's one. Um, they keep me keep me busy. And um, I have an awesome husband who is going to Western Seminary and does missionary work. I really hope you guys are all doing well. I really, really hope that we can get together again soon. I miss you all. For now, I'm, I'm glad that I get the chance um, to read God's Word with you guys. And although I'm excited um, to share with you a little bit that's been on my heart, um, I am not used to doing this, so um, <laughs> it's definitely not in my wheelhouse. Um, but I, uh, I wrote it down, so I'm going to be reading it to you guys. Um, so if it sounds like I'm reading, I am. So um, here it goes. Hopefully you have been reading through John and listening to past podcasts with Cameron and, and other people. We are in John 16 now, and Cameron asked me to focus on verses 4 through 16. Jesus is speaking to his disciples before his death. He just got done talking to them about the fact that they would be persecuted while living in the world. He begins this section by talking to them about the fact that he is going to leave them. Um, so I'll read verses 4 through 6. It says, um, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may re remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They are sad, confused, uncertain of things to come. It's hard to blame them. They left everything they knew to follow Jesus and learn from him. What Jesus had said and done had been consuming their lives, their mind, and their work. And when the thing that they put so much hope in seems to be slipping away from them, they are filled with sorrow. We do this all the time, don't we? Sometimes for good reason, maybe sometimes for bad reasons. For example, the reason the death that death is scary is partly because we've gotten used to living. For the most part, we trust that life will be waiting for us in the morning. The thought that it might not be is scary. My in-laws just experienced a pretty big earthquake in Idaho. 
Um, and I was reminded that I'm terrified of earthquakes. And the reason is because I expect that the ground will always be there and will always be solid and trustworthy. I trust in the ground. And when it betrays that trust, I'm scared. At least the disciples were filled with sorrow because they were losing Jesus. That's why it's hard to blame them. And Jesus knew too. He knew their sorrow. He knew what they were feeling right then. And he also knew the sorrow they would feel when he died. Since this virus, God has caused me to think a lot about the confusion, fear, and uncertainty that the disciples felt after Jesus died. I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but in John 20, it talks about Mary weeping outside his tomb. I put myself in her shoes um, as she's looking towards the tomb and just distraught about her Savior dying. A little further down from there, his disciples are hiding behind locked doors. They're afraid for their physical lives, yeah. But um, can you imagine what they're thinking about their eternal lives? (laughs) Their supposed Savior and King just died. I have been keeping in contact with several people, some from church, some old friends and family. There are common um, themes that that are um, discussed each time. It's death, loneliness, uncertainty, confusion, sadness. These feelings seem to fill our minds each day. These emotions filled the disciples as well before Jesus died. And of course, after he died, they felt it even more. But what should we do when these things seem to be pressing in around us? One commentator that I read um, says, It is the common fault and folly of melancholy Christians to look only on the dark side of the cloud and to turn a deaf ear to the voice of joy and gladness. This guy is saying that it is wrong foolish and lazy to only look at the negative side of things all the time. With Jesus, every Christian should be able to find the treasure in the hard times. We should be able to thank the Lord even when the things are really bad because God works all things together for good. So what does Jesus say? How does he address this sorrow? I think it's actually kind of interesting that he doesn't say, don't have sorrow. Or, I will take away your fear. Or, I will make everything clear to you right now. No, he actually doesn't promise to fix the issue. What he promises is much better. His promise is to give us his Holy Spirit. I'll read verse 6 again and then verse 7. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I am thrilled that the word nevertheless is in the verse right after. Sorrow has filled your heart. It means Jesus knows and Jesus has the solution. He tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit is coming. He doesn't just leave us alone. He promises to send another. What a loving God we have. So let's focus on the Holy Spirit. Since he is the one who has promised to us to address our sorrow and fear, 
I just want to focus on the two ways that the Holy Spirit is described in this passage. Counselor in verse 7 and Spirit of Truth in verse 12. They really go hand in hand, both focusing on truth. In this passage, the version I'm reading refers to the Holy Spirit as counselor in verse 7. Think about what makes a good counselor. A good counselor really seeks to uncover the truth. They are concerned with understanding what is real and then guiding a person based on what they find. He or she will bring out the true story and point to the things that truly matter. A good counselor will then help a person think well about these things and encourage them to live their life accordingly. A good counselor is trustworthy, partly because they listen in order to understand and know a person's struggle and because their first concern is the truth. The Holy Spirit knows us. He hears our cries for help. He's a good listening counselor, but he's also armed with the truth. His primary goal and his greatest desire for us is to lead us to what is true. And if we remember from the passage just before this in John 15, 26, Jesus says that the Spirit will ultimately testify about Jesus. So then back in John 16, 13, it says, The Spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. Just before what Jesus says, that the Spirit would convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. He convinces the world of sin, the truth of sin, the folly of sin, the grossness of sin, and what sin leads to. He shows them what righteousness is by pointing to the only one who is righteous, Jesus Christ, and how we need his righteousness. And judgment, it says, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I'm not saying that this virus is just the work of the devil because I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it is. But the fact that the virus exists is ultimately the result of the wor this world being under the curse of sin and its ruler. So the spirit of truth is coming alongside us and guiding us while we still face the ruler of this world and all the fear and chaos and uncertainty that he loves I think of the Garden of Eden and how it says the deceiver spoke lies into Eve's ear. And still now he continues to whisper lies to us. He tries to manipulate and deceive us. But we have the spirit of truth who leads into what is true. There are a lot of swirling around us right now, lots of, lots of things. We don't know who to believe. We don't know what to believe. What will be true tomorrow or in a month or next year seems like um, each day is different. <laughs> but the Holy Spirit is pure and true. And he has been given to us. He is the one we can rely on and trust. This is really comforting to me. I hope it is to you too. But I also see this promise giving the disciples great confidence. After Jesus' death, the disciples go from fearful and hiding to confident, bold, courageous, reckless proclaimers. This transformation can only be explained by the fact that they had received the Holy Spirit. 
they had been afraid, but after Jesus sends his spirit, they are ready to go. I don't think it means that we that they weren't still scared, but they weren't alone, and neither are we. Another I find is interesting. I know I'm jumping ahead again, um, but just before Jesus ascends into heaven in Acts 1, his disciples act, his disciples try to get um, clarification on one more thing. And they, they ask a question. They say, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? Um, I just think it's interesting that they, you know, instead of saying their goodbyes and that kind of thing, they, they try to slip in one more question. <laughs> but who could blame them? Um, we are constantly bringing questions and doubts to the Lord. I know I am. Um, and that's okay. The, the Lord doesn't rebuke them for this, but what he does do is point them in the right direction, and he gives them a task, a purpose. He says, you're going to be my witnesses. Then Jesus ascends into the clouds, which is co- really cool and, and crazy. And then two men in white clothes are standing by them. You know what they say? They say, men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. It is good to ask questions. It is okay to have doubt, sadness, frustration even. It is okay to feel these things. But we are to press on. There's still work to do. We can't stand around forever. Sometimes it might feel like Jesus isn't close to us at all, like he's just floating off into the sky and left us. But just like the disciples received a few days later instruction to go, we've got the Holy Spirit and a job to do. My sons wave goodbye to their dad when he leaves for trips overseas. They know he is leaving, and they're sad. And initially, they... they are confused or even scared, but they know he will be back. I remind them all the time that he will be. In the meantime, they talk about their dad, pray for him, and they tell people about him. They um, talk about how strong he is (laughs) and how they want to be just like him. They draw pictures of him. Um, They miss him, but they aren't crying the entire time he's gone, thankfully. The Lord takes it one step further for us and he gives us his holy spirit while he is gone it is like he never left so while we wait for jesus to return we also have him with us it would be silly then for us to go on mourning and living as others who don't have hope when he's right there with us you you fill me with gladness in your presence i know it's not always easy to realize and remember But if we believe God's word and we believe what Jesus said and his promises, then we can know that we are constantly in his presence because his presence, his Holy Spirit, is constantly with us. I love the end of this psalm from Psalm 16, 8. David says, I always let the Lord guide me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices My body also rests securely, for you will not abandon me to Sheol, 
You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Last thing, I just wanted to share this poem with you. Um, I've written it down in my journal. I think I got it from um, Corey Ten Boom's Don't Wrestle, Just Nestle. But just I just kind of constantly go back to it. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush around and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Guys, we have a heavenly father who cares for us. We have a savior that died and rose for us. And we have the Holy Spirit living inside us, guiding us, comforting us, and pointing us to truth. As isolated as we might feel, we are not alone. And so we have every reason to be filled with hope and joy. Let me pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to read your word with this church and um, share a little bit. And Jesus, pray that we would trust in you with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding about all of all of this with the virus. We pray, Jesus, for the people that um, don't have you. We pray that we can be uh, beacons of light, that we can um, remember that we have your Holy Spirit in us. And I pray, Jesus, that you would just live in us, live through us, that we would be um, just so thankful and glad to be conduits of, of you and your love. Lord, I pray that we would remember that you provide and take care of the birds. And and if you do that for them, then you absolutely will do that for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for the hope and the joy that you give us. Go before us this next week. In your name, amen.